Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again we're talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, I was preparing this show, this Kingdom of God show, this particular episode, which goes out live over the air on a particular radio station. And uh, most of the people will probably listen to it uh, with the podcasts and through the network. But when I was uh, programming it in, I noticed that it was numbered 666. And, of course, it always draws people's attention, 666. Uh, just like I, I've gotten motel rooms, and it was 144. And, and you know, it, like there was some sort of numerology going on with these bizarre things. So I was somewhat tempted to talk to you about Revelations and the Mark of the Beast. And we have an article up at Preparing You and uh, other places that covers what the Mark of the Beast is. And so we're probably not going to talk the whole show about it. We're supposed to be talking about Second Corinthians uh, chapter 8, 9, and 10, and we were doing chapter 8 this morning. But I also noticed that uh, my son t- told me that he was in a conversation with a bunch of people, which he doesn't always get. They were all talking about the Mark of the Beast because there's a chip now you can get in your hand. And they can put that chip in your hand and you can go and you can buy drinks at the bar with it. You can buy stuff with it, just like the chip in your uh, debit card. And uh, it, it's connected, I think, to your social security number or something. I mean, all your debit cards are connected to your social security number. But with the chip, it can't be stolen, supposedly. Although it probably could, it would just be very painful. <laughs> but uh, there's nothing in the biblical text that should make you think or imagine that you should think that that the mark of the beast is a chip. And you can, you know, if you go read our article on it, I know a lot of people say, oh, it's the chip. When they get the chip, they put it in your hand or in your head. Well, they're put, actually, some of these chips, they don't even put in your hand. They put it, like, in your wrist and stuff. And there is a chip that can go in there. And it can cause a sore and, like, all the things, all the people. But, um... The word labano uh, in the Greek, uh, there is nothing about a tattoo or an injection of a chip into your hand. Taking the mark of the beast, receiving what is offered by that mark, it is simply a matter of not refusing or rejecting an offer. That's what it has to do with. It has to do with an offer. We do see the word hand. At the end of the text, which is uh, translated from the word uh, kire, its uh, definition is expressed as by the help or agency of anyone, by means of anyone. It is clear by this definition that the word is not limited to the concept of a physical appendage of your hand. That's not what that word actually means. See, you're reading a translation most of the time in English. Most of the people listening to this have read the Bible in English. Probably one of the most uh, ridiculous uh, items that they put in there, they says, well, it has to be in your hand, actually inside your hand. Well, 
we just pointed out that the word doesn't even mean necessarily hand. But the preposition there that we see as in is uh, translated from a Greek preposition that is epi. And that epi can mean in, on, upon, uh, come to, by, at, before, over. It has all kinds of different... It's just a general preposition in in the Greek. And it doesn't necessarily mean inside your hand. And then what do you do with the, the number could be in your head? And, you know, we've gone through that. You know, they talk about in your forehead. Uh, and this chip is supposed to be a lithium chip. It's supposed to be powered in your forehead and in, in, under your skin. But the word there, translated forehead, is matapon. And is defined uh, as the space between your eyes. And it, it, it relates to memory and thinking. So when they say the word metaphor there, they're talking about your ability to remember the number. So if you remember the number, it's in your head. Then the other big argument, people say that it, it can't be things like the social security number because social security number isn't everywhere. And we point out that there are treaties everywhere all throughout the whole world that unite your social security number with all the other numbers and databases that are kept in numerous places around the world and they are linked by trees. And they say, well then they say, well, we can still buy and sell even without the number. We don't need the number to buy and sell. Well, you need the number to get your driver's license. You need the number to get a bank account. You need the number to get a credit card, a debit card, a checking account. You need the number to get a job. And you need that number in Santo Domingo and Mexico and everywhere. You need it to get a passport. It's required. And, you know, we point out in, in uh, Title 42, Section 666 <laughs> of the U.S. Codes, the Social Security number is required to get just about everything from a driver's license to a marriage license, everything. Now, occasionally people don't ask you for it, but on the books, in Title 42, Section 666, it's required. And it is the number of a beast. And now when you say beast, well, what do they mean by that? Well, all throughout prophecy, governments, you know, are represented by beasts. Leopards, lions are the symbolic beasts. But And we talked about that this morning. Now everybody unmoors the symbol from its meaning. And they follow the symbol. They worship the symbol, not the meaning. Which is really the essence of idolatry. And so, yeah, everybody just about in the world, most everybody in the world, already has the mark of the beast. Whether you're in Australia or Canada or the United Kingdom or Santo Domingo or actually in Santo Domingo, an awful lot of people don't have the Seshala, which is their number, equivalent to the Social Security number. And, you know, and, and a social insurance number, they have different names for it everywhere. But they are all linked by treaty. And they are all a part of an international, worldwide database now. All linked by trees. And you can't hardly survive without it. And, and we go through the article and, and show you that you can't hardly survive without it. 
But we have the beast and the image of the beast. In, in our time, it's the image of the beast, the similitude, something like the beast. What is the difference between the beast and the image of the beast? Because, you know, a lot of people, if you go back and look at theologians studying the biblical text, that uh, the number of the beast was, and the beast was the government of Nero. And Nero was, we talked about that this morning, that Nero being, you know, he, it was interesting that the, the uh, government was passed from Caesar to Caesar Augustus, who was really, his name was Octavius, and then he named Tiberius to be his successor, and Tiberius took it, and then it's believed by some historians that Caligula actually murdered Tiberius so that he could get on the throne, and then, of course, when there was a rebellion trying to restore the Republic, and they killed Caligula, then the Praetorian Guard brings out Claudius, hiding behind the curtain, and say, Behold your new emperor. And then, of course, Claudius was dispatched by supposedly by Nero, who also dispatched his own mother. And then, around the campfire, I tell a story that there is actually someone who is a descendant of Nero, who has been extremely powerful in government. (laughs) And actually, many descendants of Nero, supposedly descendants of Nero, I mean, they think of themselves that way, and, and Jewish folklore would lead us to believe that. And uh, they are extremely powerful in the world today. Although, and they followed in many of the same footsteps. They have their death list. Nero had lots of people killed. Tiberius had lots of people killed. Tiberius is more in the period of time in which you would create the Patriot Act, you know. Because Tiberius added all these new laws. He added a secret police. And one of his laws was that you could be arrested for suspicion. So... Once you know the details of history, you start start seeing parallels in our own time. But, of course, if you have learned from history, you don't have to go down those roads. Unfortunately, most people don't study history. They don't just study it in any kind of detail like I study it and try to share with you in all our writings, thousands of pages of writings, all given away for free, hundreds, I don't know, maybe thousands of recordings by now of shows trying to explain how all these work. So you can go to preparingyou.com and search for Mark of the Beast. And we have a detailed article connecting you with dozens and dozens of other articles explaining every detail of the text. I don't know anybody who's put so much work on the Internet. And then we have a few retractors, a few people who don't like us, and they publish things about us. And if you... If you search for His Holy Church, a lot of times, in Google anyway, you will find our detractors on the same page as us. And yet our detractors a lot of times are people that have very little information they share, done very little writing. And you'll find them in Wikipedia and everything else. And they're, they're almost nobody. But we are still remaining rather invisible in some ways. I mean, there's, we have a large network. We have people in Australia and people, you know, all over the United States. We've had people in Canada, but and other countries. But uh, it, it's completely up to you. We're not a cult. We're not gonna we're not gonna follow you around and make you stay a part of the network. You have to choose to do your part in wherever you are connected within the network. This is the way the early church operated. 
Because, see, they had that back then. If you weren't a part of their system, you could be persecuted. But Christians didn't have to be a part of their uh, system. They didn't have to get their Seshula, which was uh, like the Seshula in Santa Domingo or the Social Security number. They, they, uh, they had a thing they called a tessera. And you would carry that, and that would give you entitlement to benefits at your local temple. If there was a shortage of food, you could go down there and get some food at your local temple, if it was available. And we're talking in Corinthians, Paul is talking about going all over to Macedonia and Acacia and, and Ephesus and Syria. And he's, he's going all these places and he is collecting funds when they have extra and taking funds where they don't have enough and making sure uh, ships are loaded with supplies and supplies are moved where they needed to be to help out Christians. And in Corinthians, he talks all about that. But your modern churches, they don't do that. Your modern churches actually do the absolute opposite of what Christ said to do. Christ said we were not to be like the governments of the other nations, the governments of the Gentiles. That means, Gentiles means other nations. Who exercise authority one over the other, but call themselves benefactors. In other words, provide benefits by forcing the contributions of their members. Christians aren't supposed to do that. Because Christ said you're not supposed to do that. And of course, it's obvious they shouldn't be doing that, because that would be coveting your neighbor's goods. Through men who exercise authority. In order to get in such a system like that, you would have to consent and sign up and apply for an identifying number. That's the way they do it today. They have an identifying number. You get your social, your uh, social insurance number, your social security number. You, you and you get the number, and you get to use the number to get benefits. And you don't even have to have the number, you know, the card in your hand. You can just memorize it and just rattle it off, and then they will they will put it in, and you will get the benefits. But you're getting the benefits from men who exercise authority one over the other. Christians had a system. They would identify one another and they had a way of doing it through their network. They didn't need a, they didn't need a chip or a card or a number because they were organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And we see in the last letter that we, or the last paragraphs we were looking at, Paul is saying, these guys are some of us. That was the guys who were going around. And, and he said that if we bring guys from Macedonia, because he's writing to Corinth, but if we come with guys from Macedonia, they will go with your people from Corinth to take what you're going to give in support of the saints, the, the called out, the church, the, the ones who are separate. That's what saints means, the ones who are separate. You can send what you have with them, and we will go with them. And they will actually get to know one another. And so they had this whole network that reached all over the Roman Empire that provided necessities when there was real shortfalls. You know, the, the daily ministration was taken care of within your own immediate network in Corinth or Galatia or wherever you were. But if, if those places were hard hit, with earthquakes or volcanoes or wars or famines. You could not only 
receive aid from the other parts of the church, the other parts of this church network, you could actually go to those other places and they would receive you. And that you would say, well, I know so-and-so. And, of course, Israel organized its whole nation this way. They had no phone calls or cell phones or they didn't really have much of a post office. But they were, this is one of the things that Israel had is that they could put together an army overnight because they they were organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And Christ commanded that his disciples organize the people in that same way. And most most Christians, when you tell them that, they think, no, 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 he didn't. We can show you, right, where he says it in the text. Your ministers don't tell you because your ministers are in the ear-tickling business. Now, I, I fully admit that a lot of people have been deceived and led astray. And I and this, of course, was prophesied that this would happen. But now they're going to have to decide to repent, think differently, and go the way of Christ. So we'll go back to... Second Corinthians, and like I said, we were doing Second Corinthians 8 this morning, and he was finishing up, saying, Wherefore, show ye to them, and before the churches, the proof of your love, same word love there is charity, and of our boasting on your behalf. He wanted to make sure his boasting was not in vain. He wanted to make sure that they took up a collection to help the others in other areas. Because it is, you know, home churches are great. But home churches is not kingdom. Home churches have to be connected with other home churches because you have to love those you don't even know in the kingdom. You have to care about those who are not even a part of your little home church. And you have to love them, and that love means charity, and that charity means sacrifice. And that's why the apostles were commanded to organize the people in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Because if they didn't, they wouldn't survive the decline of the Roman Empire. And of course, that's what exactly took place. But when we see 2 Corinthians 9 opening up, which is just... It's not really a new chapter. It's all a part of the same letter. Other people broke it up into chapters. But the first first verse, and that's fine. It helps you find your way around in there. And the first verse is talking about ministering to the saints. And as I said, and we have links there on the page, the word saints means the ones that have been separated out. Anything that was sanctified was separated out. This is the way it was with all the religions. Religion was how you took care of the needy. So if you gave donations to take care of the needy, it would be handed over to the priests, and the priests were responsible to make sure the needy of society were taken care of. This is this is what religion was. James knows this, and this is why he says that. Religion isn't going to, to a building and singing songs. Religion is how you care for one another. How you are the good Samaritan to the needy of your society. That's what religion was about. They knew that. That's why the temples, that's where the free bread came from, is the temples. Because that's, but their free bread was financed by borrowing money, by taking from others, by plunder. At one time in Rome, it was done by charity. But as they moved from a republic to a democracy, an indirect democracy, and eventually to an imperial power, despotism, 
they they began to depend upon forced offerings, which is the same thing that we see with Herod and the Pharisees, which is why Christ told them that their forced offerings, their Corban, their sacrifice, was making the word of God to none effect because it was by force. It wasn't by charity. It wasn't by love. This is This is the distinction of Christianity, which is being lost in modern churches and modern Christianity because... All their needy is taken care of by men who exercise authority one over the other, forbidden by Christ. So, he says in verse 1, For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia. Because he's like in Macedonia and they... And he says that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain. In this behalf, this behalf of supporting the ministry of the saints, those that are called out, those who are separate, those who are dedicated to this charitable business of taking care of the needy of your society. That as I said, ye may be ready. That's what he's telling them to be ready. Lest happily if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we that we say not ye should be ashamed in the same confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty. Collect your bounty. Put it together. What you're going to give, this word bounty, we could go into a study of that. Whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. Well, what does he mean Bounty instead of covetousness. What's he talking about? Why why would it be bounty instead of covetousness? What what's he talking about there? In here that is bounty. And it is eulogia. And it it's normally translated blessing. But he so he's taking your blessing. He could he could say it that way, but they translators put in bounty there. And But it's only translated bounty twice, but a bountiful with the other words, it, it appears. But most of the time it's blessings. And it has, but it also has to do with consecration. Actually putting something into a concrete blessing. And at least that's what it says in the definition of the word. I'm not making it up. But they're talking about this bounty not being a matter of covetousness. And and that word covetousness is commonly translated as greediness. Most of the free bread of Rome was because of covetousness. It was because somebody was taking from somebody else. It was legal. It was, you know, they taxed somebody and then that allowed them to fill their treasuries and then they could give that stuff away. That's not charity. That would be covetousness. That's a... Government is not in the charity business. I just read a quote the other day that 
from Madison, who said the government's not in the charity business. So all this stuff, you know, like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, they're going to pay your student loans. It's not because they're charitable. It's because they're authoritarian. They're going to take from somebody else to pay your loan. And there really isn't anybody else to take from. Everybody says they'll take from the rich and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't really work like you think it does. And there are some people that are fabulously, fabulously wealthy. But, you know, the you know, a family in the top 5% is only making about $150,000 a year. I mean, they're, they're well off at $150,000 a year, but they're not super rich. None of my kids went to school. They're all home taught. And all of them make more than half that, at least, every year. And never went to school a day in their life. And they could actually make more than that. But, you know, they're busy raising their family and, and doing that. They're not the Bezos of the world out there doing big business. They, that's just what they earn. So that's not a lot of money, 150000 But that puts you in the top percent. Maybe 200000 definitely would put your family in the top percent. Well, now you're going to take 70% of that away in taxes, according to what they're telling you, maybe more, 75%. Actually, when you do the math on some of the things they offer you, it comes out to about 150% of what you make, which means that you actually owe them money. And countries have actually done this. Sweden actually did this. The lady who wrote Pepe Lonstocking, one of the most famous authors in Sweden, she actually ended up owing more taxes than she made. That was when they were going, they were going socialist. They, they now roll back. You know, their social security is now privately funded. It's not government operation. It's a private way of funding it. They've gone back away from socialism. But there's still a lot of socialist programs there, but there are just as many or more, and we have lots of people vying for power that want more and more, and lots of kids coming out of school that want more and more. All of which is in opposition to what Christ said. But the same thing was going on in Rome. It had been going on there for 150 years, 200 years almost. If you go back to 150 B.C., Polybius is writing about it, warning the people that it will change the nature of society, and it will destroy society. It will bring about dictators. And, of course, we have articles that explain that and show you what he said and why he said it. Plutarch said the same thing about the time of Christ. John the Baptist said the same thing. Peter said the same thing. That you would become human resources if you go this way. But everybody wanted the benefits. And they've got the benefits. But the Christians, the ones they were writing in Corinth and Macedonia, Macedonia, they were doing something else. Free will of not through covetousness, but through this blessings, charitable blessings. And he says in verse 6, which begins supposedly a new paragraph, but again begins with the word but, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully every man according as he proposeth in his heart so let him give free charity free will offerings that's what they said in the Old Testament that's what they say in the New Testament all supposed to be done whole government of the Old Testament was supported by free will offerings the first tax real tax I mean there was a half dime tax once a year that all families one the head of a family, that would be your grandfather, your living grandfather, 
he was supposed to put in a half shekel into the treasury once a year. That was a head tax. And it's really just saying, I'm with you guys. You know, it's it's a way of marking that we are in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Everybody, and, and anybody could pay it for you. If if you didn't even have that, somebody else could pay it for you. Because And, and often did, because they say, well, he, this guy's a real contributor to society. He's always helping out. He's helping these people. He was over there when so-and-so was sick. And so I'll pay his half shekel if he doesn't have it. That was the total of the taxes in Israel. Everything else was free will offering. But, they did start going to taxes, and they went to taxes under Saul. Saul forced an offering. It was for national defense, because they they had to put together the army, and they were going to need supplies and and feed his troops, so he forced an offering. And Samuel said, you've done this foolish thing and now your kingdom will not stand. You will lose the kingdom. And of course he did. Somebody somebody wrote me today that aren't we supposed to expose the evil of the world? And uh, and this is a private conversation, which I try to get everybody to go through the network. You go to preparing you, join the network. And I would love to answer those things. I'm really not supposed to be do I can't do it for everybody individually. A few people who are new, I'll do it with them. But really, they need to do it through the network. Because all the answers are there. We've we've had every question you can possibly think of <laughs> over the years. Maybe I'll we'll take a break. Are we at the break time? Yeah, we are at the break time. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back. And during the break, well... Welcome back. Evidently, I uploaded the wrong commercial break (laughs) without music. But uh, I did find the letter, and it's a little bit too long to read. We won't get through what we need to address, so I won't go through it. But uh, it'll probably come up as a topic because it was was hitting a lot of important parts of the subject of – because she's new, and therefore she's asking some of these new questions that a lot of people are unfamiliar with. But the fact is, we have addressed all these. It's in the materials. And, you know, I don't want to... And if people... You know, I gather with ministers, and those ministers gather with others, and then they gather with others, and the idea is that you have these tens, hundreds of thousands. You can't... You'll burn one guy out if you keep going to that one guy all the time. And so that's why you need to develop a relationship. You you make the ministers better. You'll ask them questions. They won't know the answer. They can come to me. I can show them where the answer is. And so now you have teamwork working on the problem. That's what you need is that teamwork working on this because nobody else is teaching this. They're just not telling you. But Christ told you. That if you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all else will be provided unto you. And you'll actually be taught things you did not even know you could learn. You'll be awakened to things that you did not even know existed. And I could go through a big long list of that, but I'm not going to do it. Because I'm not going to take your journey away from you. So anyway, we're just going to keep going to uh, Corinthians and maybe we'll come back to some of these things. And uh, maybe I'll figure out what they did with all the different ads that you put on. <laughs> I'll have to go through that in my spare time and figure out what the, 
what they did. But we see Paul telling them that they had to get ready to donate. Well, they're not donating to build some big church building, and you know, so that the ministers can have a vacation in Bahamas. And they're actually taking care of all the social welfare for Christians during some very hard times. But in that process, they develop relationships of trust. They find out who they can trust and who they can't trust. And he's talking about people who give bountifully. You, If you've ever worked with team people or gone to sea with a, a crew or, or worked on projects, you know who the workers are. You know, I saw, it's a video on the Internet where there was a guy crossing a railroad track with a bicycle and a bunch of stuff, and he looked drunk. And he was acting like a total idiot. And uh, there was a train coming. And these workers way down the track saw the train coming. They're yelling and trying to get his attention. And he's just ignoring them. And he's just lost in his own world. And throws his bike off the track. And he's picking up stuff. And this train's coming. Well, one of the workers, several of the workers started running down there to try to get this guy off the track. And one of them got there quicker than anybody else. But the train was just like seconds behind. You see this guy in a kind of orange suit, rain suit. Leap across the track in front of the train. I mean, it's like brushing against his coat. And this train is like a bullet train going fast. And he grabs the guy and he throws him into the ditch. And he goes into the ditch and he kind of gets skinned up a little bit when he rolls into the ditch. When the train passes, you see the buddy back on the other side of the track. And he's down on his hands and knees with his head in his hands. Because he thought his buddy just got run over. Because his buddy just disappears in front of that track that train just for when it was going right by it looked like he was going to get hit there was a still camera watching this whole thing and you could and the camera had a perfect view of it and and then he sees his buddy's okay and he runs across the track and he helps his buddy up and everything and then he picks up one of these bags and he hits the drunk (laughs) you idiot you almost got my buddy killed but they know in a hard time that guy is the guy you're going to count on. He didn't, his buddy didn't save him, but he saw him save somebody else. His buddy fall in the river. He's going to jump in the river to save his buddy. He's, he, his works created bonds between him and all the other guys. All the other guys are going to respect him. They're going to look up to him. They're going to care about him. They're going to care about his family. They'll care about his grandchildren, because they know that guy is top drawer. He's really somebody special. And that's how you create bonds in a community. That's how you could... When I lived in Los Angeles, we had an earthquake there in Los Angeles. People did not even know each other. I mean, I knew the name of a couple of people on the street, but we didn't hardly know each other. But now all of a sudden, all the power's gone. You can't really get food in the stores. There's no water running out of your faucets. And people had to depend upon each other. And you could see the bonds of the community kind of growing. But then everything went back to normal and everybody forgot about everybody else. That's what the government wants. They want you looking to them. And Christians were learning to look to each other. And when the really hard times came in a few years, and as Rome began to decline more and more, and you had all, you, sometimes you had four or five emperors at one time, and you had armies going everywhere, and uh, 
food supplies were disrupted, criminals were robbing people on the roads. Nothing was safe anymore. But the Christians had a network of people that they could depend upon. The zombie apocalypse is upon you. <laughs> who, who are you going to call? You need to start finding out who you can trust and who you can't trust. Not just your buddies. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You can go back and listen to the... All the programs go up eventually. You can't just depend upon your buddies. And you don't know who's going to stand and who's going to be there and who's going to stay sharing and who's, who can you count. You're not going to know who that is. Unless you start now. And that's what the Christians were doing. They were starting in fairly good times. Because they stopped coveting their neighbors because they stopped looking to take from their neighbors. And this is what we have to do. You know, like I just heard this morning about somebody up in Lapine whose family of six, I think it is, five or six, you know, a husband and wife and several kids, have no place to live. They ran, they're running out of money for food. What happened? That's the first thing I asked. Nobody's asked that. How come this family's in such dire strait? Because whatever caused that, maybe that's what we need to fix. Not just throw money at them and food at them and give them a shelter. Somebody give them a trailer and somebody give them a place to plug in the trailer. But are they going to get on their feet? You know, like the people in Paradise, when the Paradise burned, we had people come up here. People opened up houses, put them in houses, found them jobs. They're doing great. But they were suddenly destitute because there was a fire come through. Well, I'm not sure why these people are destitute. If these people have some other problem, like they're lazy or, or alcoholics or, or whatever, we should find out what that is so that we can actually strengthen them so that doesn't happen again. And that's what the church is doing, is creating a network of people that are problem solvers. Charitable problem solvers, willing to risk their life for you, willing to run up and pull you off the track. And then, like the other guy who took his bag and started hitting the guy, I mean, he wasn't hitting him hard, but he was saying, You idiot! <laughs> Don't do that anymore! And, and occasionally we have to do that. Well, I'm here saying, You guys have gone away from what made America great. Communities used to be like this. There were floods and I mean, there was a fire up in, in the, you know, I live in a very isolated community. There used to be more people lived in my house than in the town of Summer Lake. Now there's more people living in Summer Lake, but half of them are related to me. <laughs> so, because <laughs> one of my sons lives there. And his kids, uh, actually a lot of them live in Paisley now, which is the next town down, which is like 40 miles away. The next town to the north, like 25 miles away. And that's it. There's not much else out there. It's pretty empty. And you can see for 30 miles out my window. And there's nobody in between me and the mountain. So, but they had a fire in Silver Lake. And, you know, half of the town was injured. All kinds of people died. And somebody jumped on horses back in the days, the horse and buggies, and rode all eventually to Summer Lake and then eventually to Paisley and wagons were coming from everywhere with blankets and food and everything. Everybody stopped everything they were doing and went to their aid. There they didn't there was no nine one one. People dropped what they were doing and helped one another and when they did that you knew who everybody was. 
found out who you can trust. You, all these zombie movies you get out there, that's what they're finding out. They're finding out who they can trust. Everybody knows you can't trust the zombies. You can only trust a zombie to be a zombie. But who who can you trust? And when they find somebody new, can they bring them in? Can they teach them their values? Can they learn to trust them? Well, Christians were learning that. And good thing they did because Rome completely collapsed and fell apart. It would have been almost the end of civilization except for the Christians. Because the Christians thrived during hard times. Because they knew this other way of doing things. This other way of being a society. And that's what the church is. It's it's a society. It's a community. If you look up the definition, which we have. I mean, not the, your modern definition of the church. Well, actually, the best one I've seen in modern times is the legal definition of the church. And actually, that stems way back. Because uh, you find it in Black's Law Dictionary. You find it in Black's... Ninth and eighth and all the way back. I have Black's third. It's in that. Somebody put that in there. I don't know. I don't know if it was a lawyer or not, but it's a really good definition. But uh, you still might have to know the meaning of some of those words in relationship to the Gospels. But the church was this network of people taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity instead of force, fear, and violence and through covetous practices. They were setting the table of Christ that was set differently than the table of the world. The table of the world was set with forced offerings. That system will fall on its own sword to answer the lady who was writing me. She said, well, you know, like, aren't we supposed to expose these people and, and, and bring them down? Well, yes, but you expose them best by doing what everybody should be doing. And we don't bring them down. They will fall on their own sword. They will self-destruct. That's the way it works. It's always worked that way in history. But anyway, I'll write her eventually and explain that. And hopefully she'll hear these audios and and see that. But anyway, he's telling you, give little, expect little. Same as I was telling you this morning. How do you get God to hear you? You hear the cries of others. You You don't hear others? Don't expect God to hear you. If you don't care about others, why would God care about you? You you alter the universe around you when you walk in the ways of Christ. You alter the blood cells in your body when you walk according to the ways of Christ. The ways of righteousness. So that as it says, and you, know, you do this in all things, sufficiently in all things, may abound to every good work, he goes on to say in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, in your body, in your blood, in your life. This is how you put on the armor of God. That ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. We haven't been doing that. So if things are wrong, it's probably because you haven't been doing that. So you have to start doing that. And, you know, you don't even know what to think. You don't know how to, you know, repenting is thinking a different way. You don't know how to do that. God has to show you. So you have to left foot, right foot. You have to take steps in that direction. It's not a matter of just studying or learning. It's a matter of walking and doing. As it is written, he hath 
dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower doth minister bread for your food. And multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So what he's saying is that you're giving into this network. This network may be for you. It may be the seed for your bread. You know, what a man sows, so shall he reap. The same thing that Christ is saying. And Paul is just repeating that principle. So if your idea of survival is that you survive, and you set it up for your survival, what have you sown? You should be thinking, you know, Christ didn't come to be saved. He came to save others. He was willing to give up his life and he was able to be raised even from the dead. What are you, are you coming in the name of Christ? You have to be coming to sacrifice. You don't go to church to feel good. You go to church to do good, which is why he's talking about may abound to every good work. We're not saved by our works, but if we don't see the works of Christ and the works of the early church in your gathering, if you're not creating a daily ministration that operates by faith, open charity, I don't see the works of Christ in your church. I don't think that's a church established by Christ. It's not doing what Christ said. Being enriched in everything to all, bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving. That word thanksgiving there, what word is that? I mean, we hear this thanksgiving, we just had thanksgiving here. Eucharistia. That's what it is in the Greek. What does it mean? It means not only thankfulness, but being thankful to give, being happy to give, to give in thanks. Thanks for the opportunity of giving. You gather together to find the opportunity to help others. Because that's why Christ came. He didn't come to help himself. He came to help others. That others might be saved. Causes through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints those men who were separated out to provide this welfare throughout a gigantic network all over the world, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment, it says here in King James, of this ministration, they glorify God for your professional subjection unto the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal distribution. Subjection to the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ is lived by faith, open charity instead of force, fear, and violence. You don't, you don't live, you don't have benefits because you tax your neighbor or because you borrow money against the future of your children. That's the way the world does it. You don't do it the covetous way. You do this the other way. And he has this word, Whilst by the experiment of this ministration. What's the experiment of this ministration? 
that's that's another Greek word, dokime, proving trial. That's what it means. Uh, tried, approved by trial. And, you know, it's it's if you're not doing this, and this is how you can tell whether this is a real church or not, whether somebody's a real church. Are they making plans? Are they doing things to take care of the needy of a network of people that are trying to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands? Because that's what the early church was doing. If you're not doing that, Paul was doing it. Paul was doing, I mean, there were all kinds of ministers doing it on a local level, but Paul was connecting Galatia and Macedonia and Acacia and Corinth and Ephesus and the saints at Jerusalem. He was connecting all these people because he was traveling back and forth. And there were evidently others traveling because they say right there, they talk about men coming from Corinth and also going to Jerusalem with them and the men that came from Macedonia to Corinth and then to Jerusalem. And they traveled together because they're, they're bringing funds. To, 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 and, and they had a protection in that because these were not just these weren't just any old men these were Christians they had Christ in them you have no idea I mean these are like Jedi Knights <laughs> they had the force with them so anyway he's talking about this thanksgiving unto God whilst by this experiment this proof this ministration of proof they professed that they were subject to the administration of Christ, the gospel of Christ, because they weren't living by force, fear, and violence. They were living by charity and by hope and by faith. They were actually doers of the word. You see, your modern social security system is a system of Corbin. Your modern, so, modern social insurance number is a system of Corbin. We have articles on Corbin. We show you. We take you through these words and so you can see. Now, a lot of people aren't going to want to see it. They're going to want to think, oh, no, no, he's twisting that. I'm using their definitions. It's it's right there. But, you know, the spirit in me sometimes irritates the demons in others. <laughs> so, what can I say? But I have to tell you the truth. And now, what you do with it, that's where your salvation is. I can't save you. But your salvation is that if you are walking the walk, you go out and bless other people, this blessing is bountiful. And that doesn't necessarily mean money. It means forgiving, caring for others in ways of righteousness. This is going to make a difference in you and in those around you. You actually, you're changing the spiritual environment around you. But you want to put on the full armor of God because evil will see when you start to wake up to this. So, this distribution unto them and to all men, he says. Because the church is supposed to help others, not just those people in their network. And there will be a bountiful way in which to do that. But I'm looking for the people who are willing to walk the walk without the bounty. And by their prayer for you, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of God in you, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift, his his undescribable gift. You know, you can't, I can't even tell you what that gift really, it's not just food when you're hungry and clothes when you're naked and 
shelter when you have no home. It's more than that. But I I can't describe it. It's undescribable. So anyway, we're now getting ready to go into 1 Corinthians 10. And the titles that I have put there, arbitrarily, Casting Down the Imagination and Disobedience. See, modern church imagines that they're Christians. And, and we're warned that many will think they're coming in my name, but I know them not. They're actually workers of iniquity. Now, I'm not writing off all the people that go to the modern churches because they, they hear about Christ and they know there's something that is good there and they go there. But if they don't turn around their thinking, start casting down their imagination, stop imagining that they're saved, emotionalizing their salvation, and actually start being obedient to what Christ said. No coveting. You cannot covet your neighbor's goods even through the agency of government. You have to try to get away from that. You have to work in that direction. And that's pretty hard now. Uh, you, you To get where I'm at and where a few others are at has not been an easy road. All grace and all honor goes to God to, for me to be where I'm at today and where I will be at tomorrow. I I could not do this on my own. But what are you doing to walk the walk, to go the way of Christ? This early church, this was phenomenal change. Everybody, everybody, all the kings were doing it by forced taxation. At this time, there were, there were a few distant areas, but from the point of view, when we see John the Baptist, everybody was trying to create this kingdom of God, this utopia, by force. But John the Baptist said, no, do it by sharing. Modern Christians do it by force. They have a little bit of sharing, a little token sharing, but they are not taking care of all the social welfare through faith, hope, and charity. And they need to repent of that. They need to go back the other way. But we're out of time. Until then, peace on your house. And may God be with you. Join the network. And uh, and get in a congregation. Try to encourage others to, even if you're a long ways away from each other, call on a regular basis, check on a regular basis. We have some people doing this more and more. You have to become a part of that too. Until then, peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.